I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians. This is chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. If you want to follow along. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Thank you, Jared, for reading. Let us continue our worship service this morning. Thank you, Eddie, for helping us worship the Lord through intercessory prayer. Thank you, Nathan, and the rest of the worship team for helping us worship the Lord through singing the praises of his gospel. And I pray and I hope now that we can worship the Lord through studying God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the application of God's word to our own lives. Imagine with me, you are an expert tennis coach, all right? So you are a really good tennis coach, and you have found a promising young man who knows nothing about the sport, but has become interested through you. Uh, he, uh, this young man heeds every warning you give. They diligently follow your instructions. He has motivation. He has drive. And he goes beyond what you teach him. He's a sh- and you also strong, um, form a strong, healthy relationship with this young man. But unfortunately, you are separated from him due to unforeseen circumstances. And your heart wonders, I wonder how he's doing. A couple months later... He enters into a tournament, and you're able to receive an update on how he's doing. And the update is, he's doing fantastic. He's crushing the competition. He's winning a lot of matches. He's sticking to the fundamental. He looked really promising. There's a few tweaks here or there that he can improve on, but generally speaking, he's doing great. This would bring your heart comfort. This would bring your heart thanksgiving. This would bring your heart assurance. Paul the apostle, he labored tirelessly night and day with the Thessalonica church. Because of intense persecution, he's driven away from them, a church that he had just planted and was only with for a short time. He's able to receive an encouraging update through Timothy, and the update is the church is still standing. It's still doing well. And then Paul pens this letter, what we're looking at this morning. And so what we find is that Paul is not only concerned with addressing some areas that they need to improve, but he's deeply thankful for this church. 
his heart goes out to them because he's concerned for them and he's thankful to God and to the Thessalonians for what is going on in their lives. The theme this morning through these verses is that Paul is thankful that, and we're going to go through four different things Paul is thankful for, but all of these can be encompassed in a heading that says, Paul is thankful for the effect the gospel has had on their lives. Paul is very grateful for the response they had to the teaching of the gospel. It had a lasting change on their lives. They listened to him and Silas's training. So first, let's see in verses 4 and 5 what Paul is thankful for. He is thankful that they responded to the word with integrity. He is thankful that they have responded to the word with integrity. I'll explain integrity here when we get to verse 5. Let's look at verse 4 first. It says, For we know, brothers and sisters, that you are loved by God and that he has chosen you. He's saying, I'm really happy you guys are Christians. I'm thankful that you are loved by God, that you are now his children. He has chosen you. Ephesians 1 uses similar language when speaking about choosing. It says, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. The word chosen there has the synonyms to that would be predestined or elected or chosen. And the only thing I want to say about that is this, that you see here in verse 4 that that word chosen is right next to loved by God. And similarly in Ephesians 1. So however you understand election, I hope that you arrive to the point that God says, the point here that love by God and election are seen side by side. It is seen as a loving thing from God. So verse 4 is affirming, you guys are Christians, and I'm so thankful for it. And Paul continues in verse 5 to share how he is so confident that they are Christians. And he's going to say, because when they first heard the gospel, they responded with integrity. Paul is assured of their salvation, that they are chosen and loved by God because of some actions found in verse 5. You see their power, Holy Spirit, and full conviction. See, he says in verse 5, the word came to you not only, the gospel came to you not only in word. So there's not only an explanation of creation, fall, redemption, consummation, but there's something more that came as well. And they're not just giving lip service to the gospel, but there's something more that's happening. Let me explain. Um, as Protestants, and as Protestants, we believe in something called faith alone, meaning that we, we believe that you are justified in Christ through faith alone in his finished work. The emphasis is on the fact that we don't have to work toward our salvation. It's been accomplished in Christ's finished work. And so how we tap into that work is simply by faith. 
But something we need to remember, that even though we are saved by faith alone, we are justified by faith alone, that saving faith is never alone. And I'm not that punny to come up with that. Don't worry, that's John Calvin, who we're about to read. John Calvin is a a 15th century theologian who was pertinent around the time of this idea of faith alone. And this is what he says. It is therefore faith alone which justifies. It is therefore faith alone that we stand before God as children of his. And yet the faith which justifies is not alone. And he gives a great illustration here. Just as it is the heat alone of the sun which warms the earth, and yet in the sun it is not alone because it is constantly conjoined with light. And so we say you are saved by faith alone, but it is always conjoined with a changed life. It is always conjoined with fruit. It is always conjoined with good works. The integrity of their faith is always joined with actions and with fruit and good works and a changed life. And so we see how it affected the Thessalonians. They have the power of a changed life. The Holy Spirit has indwelt them and now removed a heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh, and they live in full conviction of the truth that's been shared with them. The opposite of living a life of integrity is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or belief to which one's own behavior does not conform. It's a pretense. It's lying. It is an acknowledgement of God with our lips and a complete denial of him with our lifestyle. And that is not what's happening in the Thessalonians' life. What's happening in the Thessalonians' life is there's an acknowledgement with their lips and with their lifestyle as well. It is a good reminder that Jesus had some of the harshest words, choice words, for people who lived hypocritical lifestyles. I was reading Matthew 23 this morning. He says hypocrites a lot. And the reason he was so angry is because the religious leaders of his day practiced hypocrisy because they would not practice what they said to believe. They did not practice what they preached. They would put heavy burdens on others and not seek to lift them themselves. And so it's always a good question for us. If you are a Christian, does your life align to what you've said or preached or believe? Does your life align with this kind of integrity? We must always be on guard against hypocrisy. Is it full of power? Is it full of a changed life where the bondage of sin has been broken? Is it full of the Holy Spirit guiding you and leading you, not hindering the work of the Spirit, but asking the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Is it full of conviction that there's no hidden things in your life? What someone else sees is what is there. We don't have to live hypocritically. The cross enables us to live truthfully with one another. It humbles us and gives us the power to be open and clear with our current sins and the work that Christ has done for us. So Paul, first, he is thankful that the Thessalonians responded to the preach word with more than just lip service. They responded with lives lived with integrity, with lives that are changed. 
Paul is going to elaborate further on this thanksgiving to the Thessalonians, and we see here the second reason that Paul is thankful for him. We see the second reason that Paul is thankful for the Thessalonians. They followed his model and have become a model. They followed, and you could even put there, Jesus' model is where we're going. They followed his model and became a model. So you see there at the beginning of verse 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul uses this idea of imitation and modeling often in his letters. Uh, Throughout the series, we're also going to see he's going to use it at least two other times in the book of Thessalonians. And then I found at least 10 other times that he uses it in his other epistles, his other letters. And he doesn't always just say, follow me. He sometimes says, follow this church, or he says, follow Epaphras, or he says just, he just links it right to God. He just says, follow Jesus. So he likes this idea of modeling and imitation and saying like, you should follow after this person. And the reason he does is in 1 Corinthians 11, it's very helpful. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be imitators of me. But he's not just trying to make copies of himself. That's not his end goal. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So it's a way that he's teaching them how you can learn more about Christ is through other models that have faithfully followed after him. But see that he's thankful for the Thessalonians because he doesn't say become imitators. He says you became imitators. These, this group of Christians are doing great. He's thankful. And how would he say you have become imitators? They received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They are following after the model laid out by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to, if you can, turn with me to John 15, where we hear from Jesus the original model how to receive the word in affliction. In John 15, the second portion, verses 18 through 20, John, um, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would not love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so you hear from Jesus, he's saying to his followers, here's what is in store, but still follow me, follow my model. And this is what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, you have become imitators of Christ. You have done the right thing. We also see that the Holy Spirit is a helper and is able to provide joy even when you seek to obey the gospel in difficult times. Quick context reminder. So, He's writing this letter to the Thessalonians. It's helpful to remember how, what uh, Paul and Silas's situation was when he was in Thessalonica. So he went to the city. They preached the gospel for a couple weeks, at most a couple months. And then here's what happened. The Jews got jealous. And here's what the text says. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city to kick Paul and Silas out of the city. 
They couldn't find Paul and Silas. They were hiding. So they found where they were staying, which was Jason's house, and they put him in prison instead. So Paul and Silas, they're able to escape in the middle of the night and get a couple days away into Berea. So that's a 45 miles away, two to three, two to three day journey. Here's what's crazy. The Jews in Thessalonica find out, oh, he's over in Berea. Let's get a group of people and drive, not drive, walk two to three days, a 45 mile, 45 mile journey, and go and kick them out of that city as well. And that's exactly what they did. They, they form another mob, create another riot, and have to kick Paul out of Berea as well. This is the level of hostility and affliction that the Thessalonians are obeying the Lord in. This is the level of affliction that they are expecting even for themselves, and yet they still are obeying the gospel and have joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why he's going to say, you have imitated us. You're doing a great job. I'm so thankful for you. And what is the result of them successfully imitating Paul and Jesus? They, the text says, have become a model, an example to others. That you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. When we faithfully follow the model, then you can become a model and a joy and a thanksgiving to others. Jesus is the ultimate example to follow, and they also have become examples. Another way that, let's look at the third way, another way that Paul is thankful for the effect that the gospel has had on their lives is that they share the gospel. They share the gospel. So Paul and Silas are with them, and they share the gospel with the Thessalonians, and they believe. And then, if you look with me at verse 8, it says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. What he's saying here is this. He would meet someone else from Macedonia or Achaia, and he would begin to tell them about the story of the Thessalonians, and that person would say, oh, hold on, wait, I've already heard that story. I already heard that story from the Thessalonians. They already told me about the gospel and Jesus Christ and how you guys came and brought this to them. So what you see here is that the Thessalonians are sounding forth. The word there is to convey uh, an echo. He would go and tell them, and then like an echo, they would go and tell others. So they are spreading the gospel to other regions so that Paul doesn't even need to. The Thessalonians are being faithful witnesses to what has happened to them. They received, and it's helpful to remember, they were with Paul and Silas for a couple weeks or months. Typically, Paul would try to stay with his new church plants for as long as possible, a couple years. He's with them for a very short amount of time, and then he has to leave. So these people, these these uh, Christians are not as well-trained as others, but yet they are being faithful witnesses for the Lord. Think of some other examples in the Bible where you come across someone that's not super well-trained, but does a great job of going and sharing the gospel. Luke, I thought of Luke chapter 8. It's the story of the Gerasene demoniac. Uh, It's a a man who had a hundred demons in him, Jesus comes and casts the demons out, and then, um, and then the man says, I want to go with you, Jesus. Please let, us, let me go with you. And Jesus says to him, 
return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus has done with has done for him. This guy most likely does not well trained in the verse um, in the in the Bible, but yet he can know here's where I was and here's what Jesus did and here's where I am now. Another example is found in Acts four thirteen. They uh, the the Pharisees arrest Peter and John, and they have them before the council, and they're telling them stop preaching, stop preaching. You're not allowed to share this anymore. And the text says, now when the Pharisees saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated fishermen, men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And Jesus builds his church on these men. My favorite example is found in John chapter 9. Jesus heals a man that is born, that was born blind. And the Pharisees are are grilling, um, grilling the man back and forth, asking him lots of questions, saying, hey, tell us how he did it. Well, were you really um, blind from birth? They get his parents to come in. They confirm the story. And, and they're trying to get him to pressure him to say, hey, tell us that Jesus is a sinner. And this is how the man answers. He says, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. So he's going to say, like, I'm not going to weigh in on your theological opinion. But here's what he does say. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. He doesn't know that much. Even later, in, uh, Jesus starts talking to him, and Jesus is like, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy says, I don't even know who the Son of Man is. He says, look, I was dead, I was blind, but now I can see. That's what I know. We don't need, excuse me, I apologize. You don't need theological degrees. You don't have to be trained for years and years and years to tell the story of what Christ has done in your life. That's where I'm going. (laughs) No matter where you are in your faith, a Christian for 40 years, a Christian for four days, seminary degree or not, read a few chapters of the Bible, read the whole Bible multiple times, you can faithfully proclaim Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I do want to be clear, formal training, discipleship, reading of God's word is natural. It's what happens when we love the Lord and we just want to learn more and more and more about him. That's, that's right, but it isn't necessary to faithfully obey and love the Lord. And that's what we find here. Thessalonians, not a lot of training, a lot of proclaiming. Paul doesn't scold them for doing this. He doesn't tell them, whoa, 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 you guys aren't trained enough to do this. Instead, he says, I'm thankful that you are doing that. So God is pleased to utilize the lowly, the foolish, and sometimes the untrained of the world to do the most amazing, glory-filled work, sharing the gospel with others. Praise God. So we find here, finally, in the verses 9 and 10, why Paul is thankful for an effect of the gospel in their lives. Paul is thankful that they have a testimony before others. Paul is thankful that they have a testimony before others. Verse 9 is slightly confusing. It says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. A lot of pronouns there, but I think we slow down, we'll be able to kind of see what's going on. 
It's similar to the thought I shared before. But here's what it is. The, the first they, for they, it's meaning, it's referring to other people in the region. So other people in the region, themselves, they're reporting concerning Paul and Silas, the kind of reception we had among you. And so again, it's just repeating this idea of like, we're hearing from other people the story that we already lived. And then what he's going to do in the second half of 9 and 10 is he's going to share the good news, the gospel. This is a good, like, two clauses of the gospel and what it is encompassing. He shares the good news, um, and it's, it's important to remember, it's good news because there's some previous knowledge of bad news. And so if you look at the bottom of verse 10, that's the bad news, bad news. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the bad news is there is wrath to come. There is, there is sin, and God is a just God, and so he is angry and will one day execute judgment over that sin. So that is the wrath. It's, uh, the idea of wrath is anger and fury. It is like there's a fire to come, but yet the good news is Jesus who delivers. Like Jesus is the strong tower amidst the fire. And how that is accomplished is through the cross of Jesus Christ. So the wrath that is to come for those who trust, have faith in Jesus, God's wrath is poured out on Jesus instead of on us. So that is the good news. The idea of delivers us has this idea of rescue or save So it's the good news. Jesus is the bridge between the bad news and the good news of the saving. And then you also see he was raised from the dead, and now he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. So this is a a great depiction of the gospel. And then first we see how they turn to God from idols. The, the, The Thessalonians, they lived in a pagan city where they would worship lots of different idols. There would be gods for whatever you want. It was like, pick your god. So they worshiped gods. And what the Thessalonians have done is they have turned from worshiping those different idols to serving and living for the the living and true God and worshiping Him only. Now, I'm pretty confident that most of us, uh, if, if you think about your testimony or your conversion, Maybe some of you, you weren't previously worshiping a god made of wood or metal or porcelain. Um, that probably didn't happen. So it's, it's kind of strange for you to think like, oh, how was it that I was worshiping something else? Most likely, though, what is more common in our day and age is that we serve heart idols. And let me share a helpful way to think of what a heart idol is, is offered by Robert Thune in a gospel-centered life. He says, underneath every external sin is a heart idol, a false god that has eclipsed the true God in our thoughts and our affections. Every sin is a form of idolatry in some way. So before Christ, though we may have not visited a temple and worshipped a wooden god, we were worshipping heart idols. And maybe those heart idols may have been an idol of approval or an idol of control or an idol of comfort or an idol of power, idol of success. It could go on and on. But the point is, is that was our functional God. 
in some sense. And so we see that an idol is something that's placed above the Lord. And we all have that story as well. As, we, as you get to know someone, uh, I just want you to think about here for a moment. As you get to know someone, typically the natural progression is you begin to ask them questions about their past or important things in their life. So for example, if you know a married couple and you've known them for a few years, you probably know, oh yeah, I know how you guys met because I asked you at one point where you met. Or you may know, hey, yeah, I know where they went to college because, you know, at some point in the couple years that I've known them, I learned where they went to college. It is natural for us to get to know certain things about people as you get to know them deeper. Why not also ask them about the most important decision in their life of how they turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to ask them, will you share with me your testimony of how you came to know Christ? A way for us to grow in thanksgiving of other people is to get to know their testimony, how they turned and are now serving God. Being entrenched in one another's lives, knowing about them, naturally should cause us to be more thankful for that person. There are Christians that you will hear their story and your uh, perspective of them will change. I I pointedly remember... uh, Years ago, I was in college, and uh, there was a girl at our Baptist student ministry who I just particularly did not like. She was the killjoy to my fun. She was the water to my fire. She was the, like, Charlie, stop being so loud. And I, and I was very loud. And I remember particularly, like, being very annoyed with her on a pretty regular basis. But praise God for Blake and his wisdom. We would spend time sharing testimonies with one another and I remember hearing her testimony. I'll try not to cry here. I remember hearing her testimony and being moved to tears hearing her story, knowing her background, knowing what environment she was raised in, walking in her shoes for a little while. It moved me. I remember being, I remember post that, I was much more thankful for this girl. I was much more thankful to God for what he had done in her life. And I was naturally much less annoyed with her as well. Even recently, I was able to hear more deeply about a brother in Christ and his family situation. And my heart moved for him. And so something I would say is a good takeaway is hearing the testimony of other brothers and sisters in Christ will help you be more appreciative of that person. It'll help you and should lead you to thank God for that person. In closing, I hope we are able to see, uh, I hope we're able to see from this passage, Paul is thankful to God and thankful for the Thessalonians. He is thankful for the effect that the gospel has had on their lives in four different ways. But one more thing I want to share before we wrap up here. Implicit in all of this is Paul's connectedness with this church. Paul is like a spiritual father to this church. His heart is tied together with their hearts. Last night we were watching the Women's U.S. Open Championship. And uh, yeah, literally the first time I heard her name was last night. Coco Golf. she won the championship. I'm sorry if I'm ruining that for anyone. Um, but she won the championship. It was, I guess, a good match. I had to even learn the, the rules of tennis. I was like, she, she was up, and I was like, oh, you only had to do two matches, but there was three because of that. Long story short, she was losing, and then she ended up winning. 
for about two to three seconds, my heart went out to her. I was like, good for her. All right, move along with my day. It is much different to that girl's coaches, family members, and close friends. They will be thanking, Lord willing, thanking God, but they will be thankful and grateful for days and weeks and months to come because they are so connected to her. That degree of weaving together of one hearts, that degree of closeness is what God intends for Christians to experience. We are meant to experience weeping with others and joy and thanksgiving with others. And I'm very thankful for this church because so many of us already experience that. But I would encourage you, experience it more. And if you aren't experiencing it, Nathan said earlier, if you aren't experiencing the lows and the highs with other brothers or sisters in Christ, like talk to someone because that is a joy God has, has intended for us to experience. So um, what is holding you back from experiencing that joy with others in this church? Uh, I'm thankful for our time together this morning and God's strength. Let us pray now. Father, we are very grateful for this passage. Thank you for the excellent example given in the Thessalonians. And thank you, it's been preserved in your word. Lord, we pray that this would take deep root in our lives. That we wouldn't live hypocritically, we would live lives of integrity. I also ask God, would you form in us a desire and an obedience to be a witness for you, regardless of how much training we've received. And help us, Father, to be thankful for one another, loving one another, getting to know one another. And one of those ways to do that is through hearing the conversion stories of one another. Father, all of this is made possible because you are gracious and kind to send your Son. And so we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.